Welcome to Animal House. My name is Eli. My name is Kenny, and we will be your hosts for a wild ride through the animal kingdom, from the depths of the ocean to the soaring heights of the skies. Each week, tune in to CHUO 89.1 FM and get ready to dive into captivating stories, discover remarkable creatures, and gain a deeper understanding of our co-inhabitants on Earth. So, whether you're a passionate animal lover, a wildlife enthusiast, or simply curious about the creatures that share our world, you should definitely stick around and we can learn side by side about the extraordinary critters with which we share this beautiful planet. So sit back and relax while we play devil's advocate against humanity and dive into all things fauna. Welcome to Animal House. And our, our first topic, it's one, uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a surprising one, but the birds, man. Oh yeah. The birds, man. There's too many of them. They're dying. Feline fatalities. We gotta, we gotta take care of them. Apparently, cats are the number one killer of birds in Canada. Cats. Yeah. Cats. And what's... What are we looking at? How many birds? I mean, apparently, according to this paper from the University of Guelph, they estimate 2.5 billion birds every year. Wow. Think about that. Wow. Think about well, You know, it does kind of make sense. If you look at the population, about, let's say, maybe 50, 40% of the population would have cats. Maybe half of them would have more than one cat. Mm. You know, knowing myself, I've had cats in the past. I know my cats have definitely went and yeah. hunted their fair share of birds that's a that's a crazy number but i guess it makes sense yeah like i don't know man it, just, it blew my mind when i heard the number mm-hmm. think so to have 2.5 billion birds just killed by cats every year think about how outnumbered we are that wow you know? there's enough for 2.5 billion of them to to die every year there's got to be and not have a real effect on their population. Well, is there a real effect on their population? Are we in a... That's, that's what we're going to find out today. Oh. We're actually going to interview the PhD student that helped with the paper from the University of Guelph. Mm-hmm. You want to say his name? His name is Jonathan Chu. He is, uh, he's worked under Dr. Uh, Ryan Norris for a while, I believe. Dr. Ryan Norris is uh, pretty well known in this community for, um, for his research on birds and their populations. Jonathan also himself is a uh, PhD student at Guelph. You you want to hear about one of the coolest theses I've ever seen? Oh yeah. So Jonathan, from what what we've done research, we think that his thesis revolves around putting GoPros on cats and tracking their. Imagine that footage. Imagine the amazing footage you'd get. We'll see if we could get some of the audio fit, footage for the show later on this episode, but. That, that might be, be a little amazing. scary, though. The audio. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was. It definitely wasn't a cat or a bird, but... That was a cat. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't, it might be a little scary if we had that audio. You know, yeah, just we're, birds we're getting murdered by cats. Interview. But yeah, that interview is going to come a bit later. Uh, another thing which we found in our research, birds have their own COVID going on right now. There's a, oh, there's yeah. a bird pandemic. It's raining... Birds, I guess, not cats and dogs. They're just falling out <laughs> of the sky at this point. You gotta start catching them. There's actually, uh, we were trying to get in contact with our, our friends that do catch mm-hmm. the, the falling birds at uh, Ottawa Valley Wild Bird Center. Yeah, we've yet to receive an email back, though. When it's it's not a call out, but it's kind of a call out, you know. Um, Please see us. We're here. We'd love to come in and help the, help the sick birds. 
or speak to someone who does help the sick birds. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not directly be in contact with them if it's that contagious, but yeah, the bird flu, that's what mm-hmm. they're calling it. But, uh, yeah, Ottawa Valley wild bird center apparently receives, uh, 3,500 to 4,500 wild birds a year and yeah. they're, they're taking care of them. Uh, some of them result from cats, but, uh, second up in the most deathly, I don't know, thing that has the most bird deaths. Yeah. They get, they need some glasses or something, man. I was going to say, I, uh, I've taken an animal studies class and we've learned that, uh, the, the leading cause of death in birds, at least at the time that I took it, was uh, collisions with man-made objects, whether it be cars or skyscrapers or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like, whose fault is that, though? I, by all ways you look at it, whether it be it's the cats. It's our fault. It's our fault. Be, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, cats, invasive species brought to different countries by yours truly, humans. They're cute, though. We love them. They are. But they're a big problem for the environment now that we look at it. Yeah, the birds don't like them. The, the cats are the bird ops. Not just birds. Small mammals, uh, rodents. They've been... Yeah, they're man. quite the hunters. They kill butterflies, dude. Think of that. Like, imagine killing a butterfly on purpose. You gotta be a horrible person. Now, let's forget about the ethics. Let's just think about how impressive it is. These four-legged yeah. mammals managed to kill 2.5 billion flying creatures. How did yeah. they get to them? Cats can't fly. No. The last time I checked, they couldn't. It's just pure athletic ability. Something else. I can't even... Honestly speaking, without any tools, I don't think I could catch a bird, you know? Yeah. No, like, I agree. I agree. They managed to catch quite a bit. That's crazy, though. But yeah, this is this bird flu technical term. Uh, they're calling it H5N1. But uh, it started off in 2021. And this uh, virologist... Wendy Purier, I think this is how you say her name, but she noticed the avian flu virus behaving oddly, she said. Yeah, I believe it's just been on the rise in the past, past while. But it usually it passes through the, the wild birds with no harm, she said, but a highly pathogenic strain known as H5N1 was killing a wide range of species. So now since birds are uh, flying creatures, they could travel pretty far, right? Yeah. So is this like a global problem? Oh, yeah. Or is it, it? It migrated across the Atlantic pretty quick. Wow. They're saying waterfalls, gulls, and shorebirds are the ones bringing it over. Mm-hmm. Within months, it could be found in every corner of North America and eventually South America as well. Wow. And do we know, uh, do we know if this has any effect on humans? So, I mean, right now, they're not too worried about it because mm-hmm. it's, it's so rare, but it keeps spreading, you know. The, these viruses have so many variations it just turns into turns into something we don't even know how it works wow you know what now out of sheer curiosity i'm thinking with somewhere like like for example cyprus which is known to have a lot of cats right mm. do they have less of a problem with the bird flu because their cats are killing all their birds or do they also have that issue there or should we just ask jonathan yeah we might have to ask jonathan Absolutely. about that we're gonna see what he has to say about the bird flu now what do you personally kind of think that we as Canadians are going to end up doing. Like I know in Australia, they implemented some sort of curfew for cats Mm. In other places. They have strict rules for cat owners, but Canada doesn't seem too worried. You know, we have bigger worries. I mean, how, how do you stop cats from killing birds? Like that's, you try to keep them inside, I guess. Well, there's definitely a, a way to do it. Like other countries have been implementing rules, you know, the curfew is an interesting one. It is. It's not like birds are only getting killed at night either, you know, like... Yeah, I was going to say, if I let my cat outside, I wouldn't let it outside at night. 
Like, I'd keep my cat inside at night. Do you? No, we used to let the cat out overnight if she wanted to be. Yeah, I guess that's that's the natural habitat. Yeah. They got, don't they have night vision? Well, cats have, cats, like, night vision, you know, right? They, uh, they roam the wild. That's their, that's their job. Dude, but, like, how are... I don't understand how they kill so many birds. It's a Tommy Jerry world. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> a Tommy Jerry world. You heard it here first. You don't, you don't want to be a Jerry. You want to be a Tom. But we're still I trying mean, to help the case, Jerry's, Jerry's out. A bird. Yeah, true. No, but Jerry's not a mouse. But yeah. I don't know. We're we're gonna get into this this uh, interview here, and I think we'll come back after, and we'll have a little bit of more conversation with uh, what Jonathan had to say. But we got yeah. some interesting questions for him. So we'll have uh, some better point of views. Yeah, exactly. And come back before we hand it off to the interview. You got anything else to say, Eli? I think I'm good. Same here. Enjoy. We are currently here with PhD student from Guelph named Jonathan Chu. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, guys. How's it going? You said you had a lot of time today, not a busy day. Basically, it was very busy yesterday. There was a lot of grants and scholarship applications that I had to get in. So it was very busy yesterday, but now that's all done. So I only had a couple things to do today, marking mostly. Yeah, and doing my research, which is a slow process, but yeah, day-to-day stuff. A smart guy, taking as much money from the man as you can. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, you're talking about your research. I know we were just talking about your story, but you want to maybe give a little preview of how you got into this research and how you got into your position? Sure. So um, I went to the University of Toronto and I was always into, into interested in science. So I had some thought that I'd like to be in health sciences or be a doctor, but I really fell in love with ecology and um, animal biology more. And so I decided to pursue that. I really fell in love with birds. So I did a master's at the University of Toronto and the Royal Ontario Museum. So I studied birds. Um, I worked um, not only with birds, but also in with a field called community science, which is where you get the public to be involved with the research process. So I really liked that intersection. So I really wanted to continue to do research. So I decided to do a PhD. And when I was deciding where I would go for my PhD, um, my current supervisor at the University of Guelph um, told me about this project where they put cameras on people's cats to see exactly what they're eating. And so cats are one of the um, potential threats to birds in North America. So I thought that was great. Um, they're still linked to birds. I got to work with really interesting technology and data, and I still get to work with the public. So that was the perfect project for me. And so that's where I am now doing a PhD at the University of Guelph, studying the impacts that cats have on wildlife. That definitely catch my attention too. The project of putting cameras on cats is super interesting. And it's like real world, you know, you're not just doing theory. Exactly, yeah. And it's it's fun because a lot of ecologists can get into the weeds of very nitty gritty, very esoteric stuff, which is very interesting for people who are into into ecology. And the, but the application and how people can connect to that might be very hard for the average person to connect with. There are lots of connections with all types of ecological research, but here it's very direct. And any anytime I talk about it with um, folks, it's they're just excited because they're like, wow, I've always wanted to see what the world looks like from the cat's point of view. And that's basically what I'm doing. Definitely get people like me and Eli uh, interested, you yeah, know, can't understand sure, all sure. that stuff. It strikes a little um, curiosity and especially with the numbers, the statistics. We saw one of these numbers pop up in a paper saying 2.5 billion birds. Are you familiar with that number? Do you know where it came from? What type of research was done? Yeah, so that is a paper um, that's, uh, I believe the authors are Scott Loss, 
there's one other and then Peter Mara. And it's funny enough, Peter Mara is was a PhD supervisor of my current PhD supervisor. So there is a bit of a link. Um, and so they've estimated the total amount of prey that cats impose onto wildlife in North America. And so they they've calculated between one to four billion birds and six to 23 billion small mammals are eaten by outdoor cats in the United States. Now, how they calculated this is they sort of took data from a bunch of small local studies. So a lot of studies um, in the past, they it's been people have been wanting to understand whether cats outdoors have an impact on the wildlife. So what people do is, um, especially with cats that are owned by people, you can't really study them intensely. So what they would do is they would either ask the owner to report everything that the cat brought back home to them. And so that's sort of a, a proxy of the amount of things cats are killing outdoors. And then they would use that sort of estimate as sort of a um, estimate of the total amount of things cats were killing outdoors. Another uh, method where this is mainly with quote unquote feral or unowned cats, where they would analyze the stomach contents um, or their fecal contents to see the number of things um, they were eating in a day or over a time period, and then um, use that as an estimate of what a single cat is imposing on the environment. So they had these numbers and it came from a, a bunch of different studies. One of the problems is it comes from a bunch of studies even not in the US. So there's a, a problem there where these numbers might not be representative of the cats that we have in North America. So that's one uncertainty. Um, and so you have these numbers, you have some estimate of the numbers of cats in the United States. So you have the predation rate, you have the numbers of cats, and theoretically you have the time period, which is they went up to a year. And there's a, other, a couple other factors, which are a bit more sort of complicated and they're, they're in sort of the weeds. So, but hopefully with that sort of picture, you can see like if you multiply this estimated predation rate time by the estimated uh, total number of cats, then you get some really broad estimate of the total amount of things cats are killing from the outdoors, which comes out to in their calculations between one and four billion. One question that that brought up for us was just how outnumbered we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 2.5 billion birds to be dying. Do you have an idea, ballpark, of how many birds there are in North America? It's it's hard to say. Uh, w one thing, um, yeah, I, I actually don't know the total population of every single bird. Um, I mean, what's interesting is that um, there was a very famous um, paper that came out two years ago called, um, the title is Decline of North American Avifauna. And since 19, what they found was since 1970, the population of all birds had decreased by about 3 billion. So theoretically, if birds, uh, if cats are killing one to four billion birds per year, that still doesn't like, if like, what I'm trying to say is even out over 50 years, the decrease has been only 3 billion. So basically the, there's like way more than a billion birds in North America. And it's difficult to know how much of an impact the cat predation is affecting. It's probably a quite a big impact, but um, yeah, birds outnumber humans by a lot. Insects, way, way more than humans. So yeah. 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 Well, that being taken into consideration, are we uh, looking towards any solutions to that? So it's, 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 it's difficult. One thing to think about, especially with the one, uh, with the, with the things about how we should be managing cats is uh, most of that big number is attributed to cats that some would define as feral, 
it's a, it's a bit difficult to call any cat in North America truly feral. Uh, but essentially cats that are unowned. So cats that don't go home to a person um, at the end of the night. They're sort of stray cats or uh, unowned cats that they might have some contact with humans but through uh, a humane um, society or what we call community cats where someone is just benevolent and puts out food and the cats know where to go. Um, most of that predation is being imposed by them. So that's one thing. The other thing are the cats that are owned. So both of these are two really interesting problems. The cats that are owned by humans, it's, a, it's interesting because you can't really manage them the same way you manage other wild animals. You're sort of managing people's behaviors. The laws you create aren't a loss um, for animals. They're laws or policies on people, right? If you want to protect an endangered species, you can uh, protect an area and put up a wall and, or a fence and say, don't go here. But that's something- Protect them from us. Exactly, but it's, it's sort of different with cats because you're not necessarily keeping, you have to put into consideration the person as well. And so that's one thing. And one way we could think about managing that is one of some, some, of, some of what I'm interested in my research is understanding what are the factors that make certain owned outdoor cats more sort of worse predators than others because there's variations some cats when they're outside don't eat anything some cats when they're outside eat a lot what makes that difference is it extrinsic factors like differences in the habitat um maybe cats are if maybe cats that live near green spaces where there's a lot of um animals that's those are the cats that are killing a lot or maybe it's the opposite maybe cats that are living near urban areas um maybe there's just a abundance of urban animals that they can prey on so that's one thing yeah, and cats are, another thing is cats are evolved from nocturnal um, ancestors. So theoretically, they should be more successful at night and killing more things at night. So my, the research I do can, the research that I do can show whether cats are preying more successfully at night or in day. And if all these factors, if we can find out a couple of them that are really important, then maybe we can create policies that are more amenable to cat owners than just outright banning them from the outdoors, which is difficult for a cat owner because cat owners really believe that their cats improve their welfare by being outdoors. They, it's, so it's maybe hard for us to tell them you can't have your cat outdoors, but it may be easier to tell them, well, you can't have your cat outdoors around this time of day, or you can't have your cat outdoors if you live this close to a natural uh, preserve, things like that. So that's one management strategy, at least with the own cats. The unknown cats is a whole nother bag of worms, which is, yeah. That's gonna be a lot harder to fix, eh? Yeah, and and it's some somewhat different types of people because the people who care about unowned cats, they're very like people that come from a very like benevolent and animal welfare, welfare point of view. They really care about these animals because they have no, they're not their pets. They're just, they just care about individual cats and what they're going through. So they're very uh, opposed to say um, exterminations. Just, just killing um, the cats, the stray or unowned cats that are out there. What they, what one um, solution that's been proposed and that's sort of more accepted by um, certain animal, uh, certain folks that are fall on the animal welfare side is trap, neuter, return. So in this program, the idea is you catch a cat, you neuter them, so you make them sexually um, unviable, so they cannot produce any more offspring, and then you release them back into the wild. So you don't kill the cat and you don't harm the cat, but the idea is it cannot um, inc um, increase the population of the unknown cats anymore. And the problem is 
that actually doesn't work all that well. And the only times trap neuter return programs have really been able to control the population, as far as I know, is when there's been, when they've sort of been put side by side with an, an extermination program. So it's not all that successful if, even if it seems, you know, better for the welfare for the individual cat, it doesn't really help the population uh, to, 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 to limit the population of unknown cats that we know of. So do you see so, that as the main solution for the stray and the... I, 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 I don't know. I, from what I've read, I would say trap new return probably isn't the best strategy. I think there is some studies that show that it doesn't limit the um, population enough. And I don't know how we could deal with um, the problem that there are a lot of um, feral, shouldn't use the word feral, it's not, it's not really true about the cats here, but like unowned cats. Um, Obviously, there has to be some discussion with cat owners and ecologists and policymakers. There has to be more discussion out from the beginning. And there should be discussion on the responsibility humans have about putting non-native invasive, if you want to call them that, species into the wild. We have to be a little bit more um, conscious of how we're um, sort of our interaction with pets and companion animals. And are we... Um, you know, imposing too much of uh, a burden by breeding them. And um, I didn't even think of it in the perspective that yeah. there's two different groups yeah. of them. Eli was just telling me, maybe you yeah. want to talk about it? Yeah, but... well, we've been uh, kind of generalizing them all, but we've also been looking overseas in Australia. They implemented policies about cats having curfews. You know, we were thinking if that would be a possibility for Canada, but you're just going over it, how there's the wild cats that we can't even implement that one on. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that. that's an issue. And that's what people um, sometimes fail to realize is most of the predation um, is being imposed by these cuts that can, you cannot curfew. Um, I do think there the, the discussion can start from the homes. That's where like my research and people's people's research that work with own cats fit in. We can start the conversation. We can talk with people who, uh, you know, are directly involved with cats. Um, but again, yeah, there's there's different. There's, there's going to have to be different uh, management strategy, strategies, and I don't think the answer is there yet, for, especially for the unknown cats. There are a lot of people that um, are really interested and really care about different parts of the issue, so it, it makes it very difficult. Um, and um, and yeah. Well, as a start, what could we say to cat owners, or what could people at home do to help? Yeah, what would you general? what would you say? Well, one of the things I've been thinking about is how do we communicate some of the issues that cats impose onto wildlife better? And there is, my sense is that I, I would assume that people who, I do not assume that people who own cats are out there to do any bad. I think they they, they have a different perspective and they really care about um, their um, cats as a part of their family. And so you have to sort of respect that. And one way you can try to um, compromise with them about the risk associated with having their cat outdoors is that there are also risks to um, their own cats. Cats that roam outdoors have a much shorter lifespan than cats that are completely um, indoors. Um, they have potential uh, risks such as getting hit by vehicles. Um, in my videos, I see cats crossing roads all the time. There's a potentially spread of um, feline immuno. It's ironic because you were mentioning that people have this idea that letting their cats outside is healthier. Yeah, and, and it's it's I, I I I am definitely not from sort of the 
pet panion animal and animal welfare um, side of research. So I don't know. I don't have enough knowledge to say that it, it there there could be actual like physical and mental health benefits for cats to be outdoors to have that mental stimulation of different environments to run around and play in. There definitely could be that um, aspect and. Um, that's one thing, but the truth is they do have a short lifespan. There are um, there are um, risks associated by being outdoors, like, like being hit by a car, by being depredated themselves by coyotes and things like that. Um, one of the one of my participants this summer, I was about to uh, put a camera on their cat, and then they emailed me and said, "and said our cat hasn't returned home. I don't think we can <laughs> continue with the study. I don't think we can start the study because we haven't seen our cat in a week." And I was like. That is one of the reasons why we say to keep your cats indoors. But um, it's a question yeah. of a better or a longer life, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and again, there are potentially if there are ways to have a middle ground. Like if we if we if we discover that cats um, who are nearby their homes aren't really affecting or aren't being too successful in their predation events, which from the the videos that I've seen, it's that might be the case. It looks like the cats that are roaming around very far away from their homes are the ones that are finding more things to hunt. Then maybe something like what what people call a catio, or basically an enclosed area near the house that the cats can go outside and play in, but not you know roam too far away. That might be a nice um, uh, sort of middle ground. But again, there's there's still so much to to un that brings us on to well you started off with 20 cats right that's what we read so um we actually have 48 cats in uh that we put cameras on in the guelph kitchener cambridge area so we had 40 cats 48 cats um we're done we're done in um, Gulf, the Gulf area so myself and i have two undergraduate research assistants that are watching the videos basically counting up everything um that they hunt also taking note of welfare things like how many times cats cross roads whether they enter dangerous areas of the construction sites and things like that um so yeah that's what uh we're doing right now we're about halfway through all the footage and it's it's, it's quite it's quite tough work because the cameras are on the cats for um 20 days and they record like they give back they give us back between 50 to 100 hours of footage to watch so yeah yeah, that sounds like a long job. Can we expect uh, a kitty highlight reel at the end of this, or will stats count? <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, the funny thing, one of the um, uh, incentives for participating in the study is that we provide all the owners um, with um, a video package of all the fun things that the cats did outdoors. We we have a um, like a collection of footage that we're like keeping um, available for presentations and things like that. So, if you guys want like a footage of a really cool predation event i can send you a link we have it i have a unlisted youtube video so yes please oh, we were amazing. talking about that we'd love to see it from this uh, hours of footage that you do have what are the what are the biggest surprises like anything catch you off guard that you weren't expecting um so they eat a lot of invertebrates which i feel like i had a like from the past studies that have put cameras on cats they've noted that they eat a lot of insects and arachnids and things like that so yeah there's lots of interesting uh, insects that are eating like grasshoppers we have at least one spider so far um spider lots of grasshoppers lots of um cicadas um a couple dragonflies um one centipede which was 
crazy. And a couple mods as well, so. You said you had 48 now. Are you planning on having more or is that the cap? Yeah, so the plan is next year around spring, summertime, I'll be um, out in the South Okanagan, yeah. Next that's where you see yourself going in the next little while? So that's everything we're gonna do in um, in Guelph. We have um, plans to do, put cameras on cats in the South Okanagan area, so in BCE. Um, I'm actually supervised by two um, folks. So one person, Ryan Norris, is at um, Guelph, uh, and my other supervisor, Elizabeth Gal, she's also adjunct at Guelph, but her she's stationed out at BC. She's um, in Environment and Climate Change Canada. So she does a lot of work with birds and cats in BC. And so she's like, why don't you come out here? They have it's very interesting. It's very different in BC. There's way more cats out. Like the attitude surrounding whether cats should be outdoors is very different. I think in Ontario, about 30-ish percent of people let their cats outdoors, but in BC, it's up to 57 to 60% of cats uh, people let their cats outdoors. So it's very different. They have many more species at risk in BC, so it would be very interesting to see the differences. We've also been doing some research on this supposed bird flu going around, H5N1. Have mm. you heard anything about it in the bird community? Is there any talk, rumors? Yeah, so it's it's... I've definitely heard of it as as someone who's uh, very interested in birds and does a lot of bird watching on the side and basically all my half of my lab studies birds. Um, that sort of news is always talked about. I think it's we're sort of in the the downturn of it from what I understand. Um, basically, it's a virus that spreads be um, between um, uh, birds and it can spread through close contact. So a lot of people. Um, What's advised for, especially with people who um, keep bird feeders, is to take them down during um, a, like an epidemic of avian flu. So usually, I mean, in generally, you're advised to always clean your bird feeder whenever, like regularly. But during um, an epidemic like this, most people are advised to like just just take it down because bird feeders create situations where birds can be in close contact, which can spread um, the flu. In terms of research, the, when it's going around, um, it changes the protocols a little bit. Oftentimes you have to be, you have to basically sanitize everything that touches a bird because you don't know how um, it spread. So for w one sort of type of bird research called mist netting, you put up big nets that are quite invisible at a, if you put them up right to the bird's eye and the birds fly into it and then they get caught in it. And then you remove the bird from the net and then you carry it back to wherever wherever you're going to do take your measurements and you usually put them back in sort of like a little cloth bag and usually it's fine in, in normal se normal field seasons you can put like you can you only put one bird in one bag at a time but after you release the bird you can put another bird in it but during flu season you can only you have to wash the bag immediately so you have to have a huge stockpile of bags so you can catch like hundreds of birds a day and usually you only need maybe like 20 bags on hand because that's how much you'll catch at once but during avian flu you need so many bags because you can't yeah you have to like throw like basically throw it out wait for it to wash before you can put another bag in it bird covid protocols kind of thing exactly, pandemic exactly. going on yeah i mean speaking of pandemic now do you think this bird flu could possibly spread to other animals probably not humans but other animals well it's it's tough i don't think i mean even in within our our generation, one of the past epidemics was a zoonotic disease that jumped from chickens, poultry to humans. So it's not unheard of for uh, a virus to zoonotically transmit from birds to humans. I think the chances from wild birds to jump to humans is probably quite low. The contact um, between 
especially the types of birds that are transmitting this disease with humans is very very low that's not like these aren't birds that we're eating necessarily i mean it could spread to theoretically into poultry farms um but um i haven't heard that happening but I, again this is sort of outside what i'm paying attention to so i wouldn't be too concerned but one last hard-hitting question it's gonna rack sure. your brain what's your favorite okay. bird favorite bird so my favorite bird is called the yellow-bellied sapsucker and it's what's known as my spark bird. So it's the bird that got me into bird watching. And so it's a type of woodpecker. Um, it makes a little, it makes very like a bunch of rows of um, holes in a tree. If you have trypophobia, do not look it up, but I, it, it does that. And the, the reason it does that, it, it, it makes the tree um, leak um, sap. And it's unclear whether it eats a sap or it uses the sap to attract insects, which it eats. It's I, I, don't, I think the the it's, it's not clear whether I think it's probably a little bit of both. But yeah, when I first started getting to bird watching, I was looking at what birds I could see in my area. I saw that bird and I was like, let's go try and see it. I learned its call. I learned how to ID it. I went out, didn't see it for hours and I was feeling really dejected. So I just sat down on a log Then I heard it flew right beside me, landed right on the tree beside me. I was like, this is a magical moment. I love birds. So that's why, that's how I got into bird watching. That's a love that's story. A beautiful story. Yeah, that's yeah. a love story. Yeah. You were mentioning, uh, you just said you learned how to do bird calls. So I learned it's bird calls. So um, one of the easiest ways to sort of find a bird or like ID a bird is through their calls. Like sometimes you won't be able to see it or sometimes there are certain species that are, are so similar in looks that the only way to distinguish them is by their call. Awesome. Well, thanks for answering all our questions. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, yeah no hopefully we'll keep interest. in touch and we'll we'll hear about this BC research. Yeah, yeah. Keep in touch. Um, I'm, I'm happy to share it when, when it gets off the ground. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Jonathan. No problem. Well, that was a very interesting interview. We just want to thank Jonathan uh, for taking the time out of his day to come let us ask him questions. Uh, it was amazing, and hopefully we'll be able to keep up with what he's doing in BC if he goes over there and lets us know what's going on. Well, with yeah. all his future endeavors, he's been uh, actually very helpful for our first episode. He, uh, We asked him a number of questions, especially our... Uh, our question about the statistics, the uh, 2.5 billion, where he got that number, and he gave us a great answer. Do you remember? Yeah, now we know why. I mean, we can know that it's a bit less trustworthy than we thought, less accurate than we thought. You know, they took all these different methods and extrapolated the results to estimate how many birds it was. Still very interesting, though. Yeah, and it was really cool how they were able to come up with these methods to come to the conclusions. Do you remember some of the methods? Oh, yeah, they were, uh, they asked a lot of cat owners, first of all, about, uh, about the numbers, but they also studied cat stomachs and uh, their fecal matter and uh, checked what they've been eating in their last days and check what they've gotten their general nutrition yeah here. so that's just with domesticated cats i mean it's kind of hard to experiment on feral cats feral you cats don't have that's owners. another one we didn't really talk about earlier yeah we didn't, we didn't take we didn't think about the feral cats and how we have to take those into account with yeah, we didn't um, take it into consideration they're a big number there's a lot of them out there cats that don't have owners that are just roaming the streets you know they uh they count for something as well they're uh, they're up there with the numbers yeah and then 
moving on, we also talked to him about the bird flu. Mm-hmm. Good thing to know, nothing to worry about. We don't have to worry about another pandemic anytime soon yeah, coming from coming birds. Humans, at least. Yeah, so that's gonna we're gonna stay out of that, but still a big problem for the birds, but not as big as we thought it was. Yep. He's also told us about uh, about his research and the GoPros, and he's even sent us some videos. We might uh, we're gonna send them out to you guys to look at. They're yeah, really gonna, really interesting. We're gonna post them on the CHUO website. Uh, you'll be able to find them up there at some point. But yeah, it's a pretty cool video of. Uh, yeah. Kenny I don't know. and I were astonished. It came out at like. Not for everybody. It may make you a little queasy, Absolutely. but it's it's just a real raw footage of nature. Nature. That's all you could say. That's how it goes. But uh, we also, I mean, personally, one of my favorite parts of the interview was just him telling us about how he fell in love with birds. Oh, what a beautiful story. He gave us a little insight of his his experience with his favorite bird and, and how he got into it in general. That was really awesome. I don't blame him, man. I mean, if that happened to me, I think it was my calling too absolutely and if any of you guys have a similar passion for any bird and want to share you're welcome to reach out we'll yeah we're to talk about it with you but uh we also just want to you know how did we do this is our oh. first episode first episode we'd love your feedback as well on yeah. anything if you guys want to reach out give us some ideas of what you want to hear uh we're hoping to start being live soon actually so Probably we can take some be. calls stuff like that it'd be super cool our show is probably going to be going on on Thursdays. Yeah, we're thinking two in Thursdays the afternoon right now. around that time for now. We just want to say thanks. Thanks to everybody who listened, took the time out of their day. Uh, we appreciate all House. of you guys. Come back, take another listen. We'll have some more episodes coming out soon. Some more interesting topics coming your way, guys. Yeah, keep coming back. Thanks. This is Kenny. This is Eli. Uh, Animal House out. Thank you, guys. <laughs>